Good morning, everybody. Welcome once again on our Sunday morning adventure together as we're going through the books of Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, and Colossians. And we're just getting underway, but uh, I'll tell you what, we're, in, we're into a good chapter this morning. We're into uh, Galatians chapter 3, and this morning we're going to explore the first nine verses. Galatians chapter 3, verses 1 through 9. In, in this third chapter, Paul really lowers the boom and he hits head on this issue of, of law and grace. And he gets it down and he makes it real personal. He talks to the Galatians almost like he's one-on-one uh, -on -one with them. And I think this, this chapter, this third chapter of Galatians is really relevant to us today, in the, especially in the Western church, because the vast majority of us are stuck in the very thing that Paul is talking about in this third chapter, which is a mixture of law and grace. Uh, and most of us don't even recognize it as that. It, law has such a subtle way of working its way into our thinking, into our daily activities, into the way that we live, that sometimes we almost look at the mixture that has come into what we understand about grace as being kind of a normal way to live. The law today is not so much about the Ten Commandments, you know, I think we all recognize that the Ten Commandments are good guides to moral behavior. It's not even so much about the 613 laws of Moses. I doubt seriously that any of you uh, take your rebellious children outside the city gates and stone them. Uh, I, I don't think you worry about <clears throat> blending fabrics together or all of the other things that Moses put together to try to help the children of Israel keep the Ten Commandments. Which is, which is always the way that man-made man rules and laws work. They always try to supplement and come in and help us, sometimes with a good motive, to live good, moral, upright lives. But they become very restrictive, and they become, in fact, the, the religion that we end up worshiping. The law that really tries to snare you and me today is not the Ten Commandments. It's not the 613 laws of Moses. It's, it's all those little do's and do-nots that churches have made their headline feature oftentimes. For example, if you think of the Baptist church, obviously the, the thing that separates Baptists is their emphasis on water baptism. Is water baptism uh, good? Yeah, there's no, nothing wrong with being baptized in water. I think personally it's an old covenant ritual, but if it makes you feel better to be water baptized, be water baptized. But the, the, the real rub comes down is when you think, that it is a necessity or it has to be a step that follows in your, your progression or in your, your Christian journey. So, you know, if you're a member of a holiness church or a member of most evangelical churches, there are statutes and laws and things that we set up, you know, that we think if we don't adhere to, that somehow we're, we're falling short, we're failing God, we're not living up to what we ought to live up to as a good Christian. And those are the things that I think I'm really concerned about. And I think those are the things that Paul's concerned about as he talks to these Galatian Christians about getting involved back in a mixture message after they had received a pure message of grace. It's all these mental constructs <clears throat> that if we don't keep, create guilt and condemnation and a sense that we uh, are now, because of our shortcomings, somehow we've separated ourselves from God. You know, and even beyond, here's my pet peeve, even beyond the, the church rules, 
we have a tendency to make up things in our own mind that we have to keep. You know, I, I, there was a day in my life that if I didn't start the morning with an hour of prayer, I felt bad. I felt guilty. I felt like my whole day was was in shambles that somehow, you know, my, that God wasn't going to look on the day with as much favor as he would have had I spent my hour in prayer. And I thought that hour in prayer was the thing that would set me right for the whole day. And if I didn't keep it, nothing wrong with an hour of prayer in the morning. Nothing wrong with that at all. But the problem comes in when you set that up now and when you practice it enough, it does become a standard or a construct that you have in your mind that you have to keep. And I don't know... Those of you that are watching this morning on the Digital Cathedral, I don't know if there are things that you have set up in your life that you feel if you don't meet, that all of a sudden you have not uh, come to a place of favor and goodness in the eyes of God. You know, that somehow it's just diminished you a little bit. Not that God, you know, is looking on you with disfavor, but somehow you haven't gotten in, you haven't positioned yourself for the amount of favor that you could have had you have kept these things that we set up in our head. And we'll get to it in the book of Colossians. <clears throat> we'll get to it real heavy. But here, here's, uh, here's what Paul said about that. Colossians chapter 1 and verse 21. And this is, this is what he's driving home about this very issue. Colossians chapter 1 verse 21. And he says this. And you who were once alienated and enemies in your minds by wicked works. Yet now he has reconciled. Yet now he has reconciled, verse 21, and you who were once alienated and enemies in your mind by wicked works, yet now he has reconciled, period. Full stop, right? So when we have separated ourselves in our heads through things that we've done, he's reconciled us in spite of that. And he goes on in verse 22 and he says, he's reconciled us in the body of his flesh through death, to present you holy, blameless, and above reproach in his, in his sight. So it's, it's, it's all his doing, he's saying. He's saying, yeah, you separated yourself. I never separated from you. You separated yourself in your own mind, but I still reconciled you. And in, in uh, verse 22, he tells us exactly how that he did that. And it, it, it was all his doing. He did it through uh, the body of his flesh, through death. Now, here's the part I want to see that he may present us holy and blameless and above reproach in his sight. So how you see yourself maybe as falling short through these little, these little standards that you set up. If you, don't, um, you know, if you don't give X number of dollars in church on Sunday, if there's a certain percentage, or if you don't uh, you know, go out and witness, witness to what you think are the lost people, then all, you're not doing your, your duty or job. And that's it. So you begin to look at yourself through those lens. Paul says, look, that's not how God sees you. God sees you as holy and blameless in his eyes. And you know, over the last 15 years since I've been teaching this message of a very pure grace, I've seen so many people discover uh, the freedom of the gospel and the freedom that it brings. And they rejoice at all the things that the finish of the work work of the cross has direct deposited into their life. And I like that word direct deposit. The things that God has done for us, he has direct deposited. You know, a, a direct deposit means that the sender or the giver is able to put into the account of the receiver directly without participation from the receiver. It, it's direct deposited. 
like your check every week, probably your employer maybe direct deposits your check. You don't have to endorse the check. You don't have to go to the bank to cash it. You don't have to make out a deposit slip. There's nothing you do. It is automatically placed into your account. And that's, that's the way grace works. That's the way everything that he has done for us, free of charge, it comes as a, a full direct deposit. And I've seen people come into that freedom. But then all of a sudden they have backed up in their freedom and they have slipped into a grace and, it's, and it comes so subtly. They've slipped back into a grace that demands some self-effort. They're, they're, they're falling into everything that Paul addresses in this third chapter of Galatians. They, what, what the scripture says is that, they, is that they have fallen from grace. Now I used to think fallen from grace and come over with, with me to Galatians chapter 5 I used to think that, that falling from grace you know backsliding is what we called it in my church <clears throat> was when you began to sin you were a Christian and you sinned you fell from grace and the way you fell from grace was to sin that's not what, that's not what Paul taught it was in Galatians chapter 5 and verse 4 he says, you have become estranged from Christ. You who attempt to be justified by law, you have fallen from grace. Paul says the way that you fall from grace is to, is to put you back under those restraints that you came out of when you discovered the freedom of the gospel. Do you remember how light and free you felt when you first discovered how good God was? When you first discovered what the gospel really was? You remember that freedom, that liberty, that lightness? That should never leave us. If this morning, if, if, if this morning as, you, as you watch on, on the, online here at the Digital Cathedral, if you're, if you're feeling any heaviness, if you're feeling any constraint, any condemnation, any guilt, because of what you think are failed efforts to live up to what you should live up to, I want you just to free yourself back. Get back to that position. Right now in your mind, just get back to that place where you feel as absolutely free as you did as when you first discovered it. You see, mixing law and grace is the absolute Ishmael of the gospel. What do I mean by that? The Ishmael of the gospel is this. Ishmael is taking a promise from God that only he can do, only he can fulfill, and then trying by our flesh effort to accomplish it. <clears throat> God promises you something. God shows you something. God puts something into your life. And he says, this is what I'm going to do for you. This, this is my plan for you. This is, this is my favor to you. And you see that, but all of a sudden, maybe it's not coming quick enough or working out fast enough. So you begin to try to fulfill it in your flesh effort. That's, a, that's an Ishmael. And it produces things that are not God's best. So when you take law and grace, the Ishmael is this. You're trying to produce a holy life, a good life, a righteous life, not by what God has promised, but by your efforts. So that's... That's the situation <clears throat> that Paul steps into in this third chapter of Galatians. He's talking to people that had entered into the freedom of the gospel, but now all of a sudden they had been talked out of that freedom into restraints, into, into standards and laws and rules and regulations. There had been a group of people that Paul called Judaizers that followed Paul into the church's in Galatia and had undermined the message of Paul. So Paul picks it up and let's go to verse 
1. Let's, go, let's walk through these nine verses of Galatians chapter 3. And let's see what Paul has to say to them. Galatians chapter 3, verse 1. He starts out and he says this. And I said he makes this very personal. He comes, he's not just, you know, he's not just addressing the whole church. <clears throat> he's coming right down to the individual. <clears throat> he says, verse 1, you foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you? You know, bewitched is a, um, it's actually a witchcraft term. It means who's put a spell on you? Who's hexed you? Who has, who has put something on you that is now controlling you? He said, you foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you? You should not obey the truth before whose eyes Jesus Christ was clearly betrayed among you as crucified. <clears throat> Let me paraphrase what he's saying, verse 1. He's saying, guys, have you lost your common sense? Can't you see how the law has bewitched you? I came in and I ministered Jesus crucified, the finished work of the cross. I came in and ministered to you everything. I laid it all out for you, plain as could be, everything that Jesus did for you through the crucifixion. But now somebody has come in and they've put a spell on you. They've tricked you. They've duped you. They've deceived you. And Paul says, I, I've shown you what has been imparted to you through the crucifixion. But now you've been duped into thinking that that was not enough. That that didn't, that, that didn't suffice. That there was something that you had to add to it. There was a part that you needed to play. And I tried, he said, Galatians, I, I tried to explain to you that it was all his doing. That there isn't anything that you can add to the simplicity of the truth that I gave to you. So Paul, Paul kind of repeats this message over and over everywhere he goes, whether it's Galatians or to the church at Ephesus, <clears throat> Philippi, Colossae. Paul comes through this same message all the time. Guys, the gospel is sufficient to stand on its own two feet. You don't need to add anything to it. So then he goes on, and let's pick it up down to verse Let's go to verse 3. Well, in verse 2, he makes a real strong point. He said, I only want to ask you one thing. He said, did you receive the Spirit by the works of the law or by the hearing of faith? How did you get it? Did you get it because you merited it? Did you get it because you earned it? Did you get it because you were circumcised? Did you get it because you kept the law? Did I come in and explain to you that there was a, a, a height of spirituality that you had to attain in order to be favored by God? He said, or did you just get it by the simplicity of the gospel itself? So then he goes on in verse 3. And let me read verses 3 to 5. Verse 3 said, Are you so foolish, having begun in the Spirit... Are you now being made perfect by the flesh? Verse 4. Have you suffered so many things in vain, if indeed it was in vain? Verse 5. Therefore, he who supplies the Spirit to you and works miracles among you, Paul speaking about himself, does he do it by the works of the law or by the hearing of faith? Man, there is so much in those, in those three verses. Paul, Paul starts out by saying in, in verse 3, can you see how ridiculous it is to start something that happened in your life by the Spirit, totally by the Spirit, then all of a sudden now you're, you're going to try to perfect it by your actions. Can you, can you see how easy it is to fall in that pit? You know, God comes in, the Spirit of God leads you into truth, does a tremendous work in your life, and then all of a sudden what He has deposited in there, you want 
to perfect it or tweak it by what you do. I mean, isn't that a good picture of, of religion that most of us came out of? Many of you watching on the Digital Cathedral, you've come out of that. You're not in church this morning because in a brick-and-mortar building, you're in church all right. We're in church together. But you're not in a brick-and-mortar building because of, of, of that very issue that they are trying to get you by your behavior, modifying your behavior to perfect something that the Spirit deposited all by himself in your life. And if he did it, Paul said, what makes you think that you can perfect it by yourself? You know, we, we accepted Jesus. We prayed the magic prayer. We allowed him to come into our life. That's the verbiage that we used in the church. And all of a sudden, then point forward, we were taught that it was up to us to perfect by our actions what was started within us without our actions. But even coming through those things of all that we thought we had to do to earn the salvation, which really it was an earning of salvation by accepting Jesus and praying the magic prayer and doing the things that they said we had to do, we were trying to even begin to work in the Spirit by our actions. So when you, when you add the rules and the standards to what you get by grace, what you do is give up all of the ground that you have taken and that has been given to you by grace and you head back to Egypt. You go back to the place of bondage. It just works that way. When you add... Paul said that you fall from grace when you put yourself back under the law. You can't live grace and law. <clears throat> I don't care what church you go to. I don't care if it's Grace Baptist or, you know, Grace Pentecost, whatever. If you come in and all of a sudden there is, is something added to and you try to live with one foot in grace and one foot in law... <clears throat> That's why the church has been so stymied in its growth. That's why you see people in church that have been there 15, 20 years and they are as much a baby Christian as they were the day they walked in and received something by grace. And because they got one foot in grace, one foot in law, they're trying to live in those two dimensions and you can't do it. Verse 5, he says this. Let me run back over verse 5. He says, Therefore he who supplies the Spirit to you and works miracles among you. Does he do it by the works of the law or by the hearing of faith? When, when we realize that everything that we have received comes by grace, then trying to achieve by the works of, you know, discipline, uh, education, fasting, long prayer vigils, when, when, you, when you understand that what you're working, Paul said, I've come in, I've worked miracles among you, and you obviously saw that I didn't set up a standard that I had to meet in order to, to be blessed by God, to do what I've done even among you. He said, I did it by grace. Now, once, once, you, once you enter into that, and you try then to perfect it or achieve by discipline, education, fasting, prayer vigils, all the things, it, it just seems so hollow and empty. You know, I, I look back upon all the things that I, I did to try to push through or, you know, break into or come to another level, another place through my action. When I got done with it, it was just was, it was hollow. I never, I never felt like I accomplished anything. You know why? Because I didn't. I didn't accomplish anything because it wasn't merited by my performance. So if you were, here's, here's what I'm trying to drive home. 
if you couldn't get it by your good works, if you couldn't merit it by your actions, salvation, favor, then what makes us think that we can perfect it and retain it by those things? That's what Paul's driving home here. He said, I want to ask you one thing. What you have, did you get it by grace or did you get it by, by your goodness? He, if you got it by the Spirit, if you got it by grace to begin with, then what makes you think you can perfect it by your goodness? And yet millions are working to do that very thing. Now, you and I that are, that are ministering this message, maybe you got a home group or just people you meet with at work, or you're just living your life, demonstrating it. Actually, we're, we're working in the reverse of what Paul was working with. Paul started with people that knew nothing. Paul started with people that had no religious spiritual background. Yeah, you, and he brought them into a freedom of the gospel. So it's, I think it's much easier than what you and I are working with. We're working with the opposite, people that have you know, sometimes decades of religiosity that's built up and we're trying to bring them into a freedom so they've got all of this baggage there. They're, they're carrying for years and years and years. Paul wasn't encountering that. Paul was encountering people that were free. Then somebody came in to try to put the baggage on them. You and I are working with people that have tons of baggage and we're trying to get them free of the baggage. But the principle is still the same. When we come into something by liberty, when we come into something by grace, then it can't be perfected by our actions either if you knew nothing and then all of a sudden you have something and then you want to make it better by what you do or you're, you're filled up with baggage and, 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 and you know, religious bondage and you come into a freedom and now you're trying to dump it all. But yet you, as you dump it, you look at some things and you say, this, this was good, I, maybe I should retain that. Maybe I should still hold on to that. Let it all go. Let it all go. All right, now verses 6 through 9, Paul uses Abraham as an example of how this works. Now watch. <clears throat> this is such a good example. Verse 6. He says, Just as Abraham believed God, and that was counted to him for righteousness. The righteousness of Abraham didn't come because he was good. It came because he believed God. Now he's going to carry on with this. Therefore know that only those who are of faith are sons of Abraham. Verse 8, and the scripture foreseeing that God would justify the Gentiles by faith preached the gospel to Abraham beforehand saying, Abraham, in you all the nations will be blessed. You through Abraham, he's saying, who believe God and not try to have a works righteousness, in you that will be blessed. So then those who are of faith, verse 9 says, are blessed with believing Abraham. So he uses Abraham as an example to show us that he gifts us with what we're unable to do ourselves. And in fact, he even gifts you with some things you're able to do yourself. But let's stick, with the, let's stick with the example of Abraham where he blesses us with, with what he tells us that is ours or that he's giving us that we're not able to do ourselves. For God to do what he promised, Abraham had to get out of the way. The, the faith that Abraham had was not... Listen to me very carefully. The faith Abraham had was not faith in his faith. 
It was impossible for Abraham to do what God, what God promised. How, how much time did you spend trying to build up your faith to get what God said? <laughs> to receive what God said was yours. How much time did you actually spend building up your faith? You thought, if, you thought if you're sick, all of a sudden it's because you didn't have enough faith. You blamed it on your faith, your shortcomings. Something that was going wrong in your life. That was your, your fault, so you, you felt you had to correct it. No, he's, he's saying that the promise that comes from God is for us to simply believe that God is able to do what he said he could do apart from our ability because what he, what he promises, we, we can't produce it. That's the point of Abraham. Abraham trusted in God's ability to do what God promised to do. For God to do what he promised, Abraham had to get out of the way. And so do we. To walk in the full manifestation of the sons of God, we have got to get out of the way. Ishmael was the result of Abraham interfering and trying to produce what God promised. How many Ishmaels have you had to raise? I've raised a lot of them. How many things have you instituted in your life because you felt like God was leading, God was saying, but the production wasn't there? That's where Abraham was at. Abraham's 75 years old. God promises and says, I'm going to give you a son. Abraham had no children. Sarah, his wife, was old. It was impo physically impossible. So after, you know, 10, 15 years and there's no child, it's even getting bleaker. That's where the warfare is. God promises, you see it, but then you begin to waver because of circumstances. Will you hold the picture firm? So what is, what is Abraham? Abraham did what many times we do, what I have done. He tried to produce what God promised in his own efforts, and the result was an Ishmael. Let's look at over in Romans chapter 4. Paul tells it just a, a, even a little bit more plain. Romans chapter 4, verse 1. Let me read verse first five verses of Romans chapter 4, and then we're going to read verses 17 to 22. And I want you to see how this was working in the life of Abraham because it, it relates directly to what we're talking about in Galatians chapter 3, trying to perfect in the flesh what God promised and gave us in the Spirit. Are right, you listening? Romans chapter 4, what shall we say then... Uh, what shall we say that Abraham our father has found according to the flesh? For if Abraham was justified by works, he had something to boast about, but now before God. For what does the scripture say? Abraham believed God, and that was accounted to him for righteousness. Now to him who works, the wages are not counted as grace, but as debt. Right. So if you're trying to work for it, you're not getting it by grace, but it's actually owed to you if you're trying to work for it. Verse 5. Verse 5. Let me read one, one more verse here. All right. But to him who does not work, but believes on him who justifies the ungodly, his faith is accounted for righteousness. All right, come down to verse 17. Let's keep reading here. As it is written, God told Abraham, I've made you a father of many nations. In the presence of him whom he believed, God who gives life to the dead, 
calls things that do not exist as though they did, who contrary to hope Abraham believed so that he became the father of many nations, according to what was spoken, so shall your descendants be. All right, let's keep reading. Verse 19. And not being weak in faith, he did not consider his own body already dead since he was about a hundred years old and the deadness of Sarah's womb. He did not waver at the promise of God through unbelief, but was strengthened in faith, giving glory to God. Verse 21, and being fully convinced that what God had promised, God was able to perform. Verse 22, and therefore it was accounted to him for righteousness. All right, what, what's, what's Paul telling us? Come back over to Galatians. Paul is telling us that like Abraham, we, we have nothing to boast of in ourselves. When it comes into this life of the Spirit, this, this, this dimension, we have got to, like, like the old saying goes, we have got to let go and let God. That's the freedom of it. I want you to feel the pressure off of you this morning to produce what you feel you need to produce in your life. If God promised it to you, God will deliver it. So he gives, gives a couple of impossible situations in that, in that fourth chapter of, uh, of, um, of uh, Romans. In verse, he gives two impossible situations. Verse, verse 5, he says, But to him who does not work but believes in him, who justifies the ungodly, his faith is accounted for righteousness. You don't hear that much in church about God justifying the ungodly. And Paul points that out because that's a total work of God. See, the ungodly try to justify themselves to become righteous in God's eyes. But God does the impossible. He justifies the ungodly. Then in verse 17... He said, Abraham, I've made you the father of many nations. In the presence of him whom he believed, God has given life to the dead and calls things that do not exist as though they did exist. Look, giving life to the dead is not something you can do in your own ability. <clears throat> so Abraham, or Paul draws two vivid illustrations here about when God does something, he doesn't need your help. When God promises something, he can deliver what he promises. So he gives life to the dead, and he calls things that are not as though they are. See, the things that are not need something supernatural to make them become something that is. So the whole point of everything that Paul is laying out here in, in Galatians chapter 3 is that there needs to be a supernatural touch to bring into reality what was not in reality. So he's looking at the Galatians. He says, your salvation, your standing before God was not, was not evident. It wasn't there. So it took something beyond your ability to make it so. And that's where grace, that's where grace pays the bill. Grace makes it so. In, uh, in verse 18, he says, who against hope believed in hope. See, all we have is hope. In spite of everything that goes on, cannot lose your hope. Abraham in hope believed against hope. When it, when, it, when it was absolutely no possible physical way, all he had was hope. You know what hope is? Hope, catch this, 
Hope is a focused expectation. And it doesn't come off the focus. All right, now let's go back, let's go back to Galatians. I could spend my whole time on that focused expectation of hope. Galatians chapter 3, verse 8 says, And the scripture foreseeing that God would justify the Gentiles by faith. Not by works, but by faith. Not in our faith, but faith in God's faith. He preached the gospel to Abraham beforehand, saying, In you all the nations of the world will be blessed. <clears throat> so the, Abra the Abraham... He says, take your hands off the wheel and trust me to bring the blessing, all right? If God said he'll do it, take it to the bank. He'll do it. So Abraham, just step back from it. Take, stop trying to produce it. It's your trust. It's your, it's your hope that brings you into the blessing. See, if God said he will do it, he'll do it. Take it to the bank <clears throat> and lean into that promise. And don't try to bring it to pass by what you do. God does not need a helping hand. God, God doesn't need uh, anything from us. All he needs from us is, is just a, a response, which is believing, a response to what he reveals. He comes to Abraham and says, Abraham, I'm going to give you a, a child. You're 75, I'm going to give you a child. Abraham didn't need to try to make it happen. He just needed to lean into the promise and trust the one that promised it. See, <clears throat> let, me, let me give you a real good, good illustration of that. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. Hold your place because we're going to come back to Galatians. But here's, here's something that many of us have, have tried to strive to attain in ourselves because we knew that this is what God wanted. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 23. He said, Now may the God of peace himself sanctify you completely. And may your whole spirit, soul, and body be preserved blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. He who calls you is faithful, who also will do it. See, this, this thing of being sanctified, separated off, spirit, soul, body, being made uh, blameless and preserved faultless before God. When we know that that's what God wants, then we have tried to make it happen. But in verse 24, he says, he who calls you is faithful to do it. Whatever God tells you that he will do or whatever he lays out for you to accomplish, he takes full responsibility in bringing it to pass. No getting around that. So listen, listen, life in the spirit should be pressure free. Take the pressure off of you. We, we've learned to put ourselves under pressure and we've, we've picked up a ton of religious baggage along the way. If God promised, now it's not your job to produce. Am I driving it home enough this morning? If God promised it, it's not your job to produce it. All right, let, let me, what, what does that look like? What, what does that look like? All right, you, you tell me, I'm going to read you a little story. You tell me who's moving in the unforced rhythms of grace and who's trying to accomplish a good work by their actions. All right? yeah, very simple little story. You know it well. Luke chapter 10. Luke chapter 10. <clears throat> Verse 38. 
You tell me who's the one that's moving in grace and who's the one that's moving in law. Self-imposed standards. Self-imposed uh, um, self-imposed, what's the word I'm really looking for? A self-imposed goal that they have to meet or cross over in order to score the points with Jesus. Luke chapter 10, verse 38. <clears throat> it says, Now it happened as they went, they entered into a certain village, and a certain woman named Martha welcomed him to their house, into her house. <clears throat> verse 39. She had a sister named, named Mary who also sat at Jesus' feet and heard the word. But Martha was distracted with a lot of serving and she approached him and said, Lord, don't you care that my sister has left me to serve alone? Therefore, tell her, come help me. He said, Martha, Martha, you are worried and troubled about many things, but one thing is needful and Mary has chosen that good part which will not be taken away from her. Look, here's two sisters. Great contrast. They, they're from the same environment, same culture. It's a great contrast of works to please Jesus and resting in his grace, resting in his presence. Right? Jesus comes into the house. And here's Martha. She's hard at work to please Jesus. She's out, she's out in the kitchen making a pizza, getting the nachos and queso ready. And there's Mary sitting in at the feet of Jesus, just enjoying his presence, not doing anything else. And so Martha gets irritated at Mary, which, which generally the Marthas, even in our culture, get upset with the Marys. Religion tells you, you know, you, you're just, uh, you just can't do nothing. I mean, come on. The Mar Marys often irritate the Marthas because outwardly they're not doing something to please Jesus. They're not earning his favor. Martha was making a pizza that Jesus never, never called for. He didn't call for delivery. <laughs> he never asked for it. And then there's Mary just sitting in his presence. That, that little five-verse story tells us what Paul is telling the Galatians. Exactly. You don't have to be a Jesus chaser or a God chaser. That, that you don't have to please him by chasing after, by doing something to please him. Grace is the good news that they chased you. They ran you down. And all you have to do is simply like Mary, just rest in the presence without being driven to be a Martha doing what Jesus never asked you to do. Jesus never asked asked you by your works and your merits to get on his good side. God never laid that out for you to do in the new covenant. In fact, Jesus said in John 15, 16, he said, you didn't choose me. I chose you and I ordained you that you would go and bear fruit and that your fruit would remain. Now, unless you rightly divide the word, then you're going to be a Martha. Unless you understand what I'm teaching you this morning, you're going to nervously be running around trying to earn favor. A law and grace mixture, is, which is what Martha had. She invited Jesus into the house. He came in. He didn't come in because of anything she did to merit his entering. He came in because he loved them. Law and grace just don't mix. But once Jesus came in the house, listen, then Martha got busy. 
She wanted to make him happy. Long grace will never let you just lean back into the arms of grace and relax. You have got to get rid of every vestige of mixture. And I say that to grace teachers. The best known grace teachers in the world today still carry strains of mixture that you can catch if you listen. All right, let me just chart out real, real quick some scriptures from the Old Testament and the New Testament that show what we're talking about. 2 Chronicles chapter 7 and verse 14. How many of us entered into this verse? He says, if, if my people which are called by my name, if they will humble themselves and if they will pray and if they will turn from their wicked ways, then... Then, and only then, will they hear from heaven, and I will come and heal their land. Do you, do you see any mixture there? See, that's an old covenant. It, and we, we use that in church so many times for our programs. If you do this, then God will do that. If, if you will enter in by your action, if you'll, if you'll pray, if you'll humble yourself, if you'll turn from your wicked ways, okay, then God will come and do something. In Deuteronomy chapter 28, the first two verses, I won't take time to read it, but he says, look, this, this is what happens if you keep the law, if you, all the statutes, if, if you do it, then I'll bless you. And he lists out all the blessings. Then down in verse 15 of Deuteronomy 28, he said, if you don't keep these, he said, then all these curses will come on you. And he lists out all curses that come if you don't. See, this this is what we fall into. It's what I call the, uh, and I put it in quotes, if-then word. You, you know, if you do, then he will do. If you do, then he will do. And you, the thing is, you can never do enough. Because if, if you don't see the land healed, if you don't see the revival come, if the presence doesn't fill the building like you think it should, which is crazy, then you blame the failure on, I should have done more. I should have obeyed more. I must have missed it someplace. Where did I miss it? God, show me where I missed it. And, we, and so we double down on our efforts. The very thing that is here, we double down on. You contrast that with Hebrews chapter 4, verses 9 through 11, and verse 16, which talks about there's a rest for the people of God, a rest that we can enter into. No effort no standard, no law, it belongs to you. And the only labor that we have, it says in Hebrews, is to enter the rest. That's hard to do. Sometimes it is a labor to sit there and shut yourself down and just enjoy the rest in the presence. See, there's no if then in that. It's just here it is. It all is yours. I've deposited in your life. I, I, I read you John 15, 16. You didn't choose me, I chose you. Well, on what basis? Well, not because of what you did, but because of his choosing. Then over in 1 John chapter 4, verse 19, it's, it says that he loved us, and as a response to that, we loved him. It's not that we loved him, but he first loved us. So he didn't base in the new covenant his love to us on what our love to him was. And I think through church, that's, we've just kind of planted that seed that if we love God with all of our heart, all of our minds, all of our wills, all of our being, then he will love us back. 
And we've just got it bass backwards to what the new covenant teaches. See, that's why if you don't rightly divide the word, if you, if you, have, if you didn't go through the little series I did on Unhook the Book, you ought to do it. Because if you're, if you're carrying baggage, if you're carrying a mixture, it's because you haven't discerned and cut the covenants yet. Self-promotion, earning favor, God smiling on obedience, the fear of divine judgment, they all fall short because they ended at the cross. Colossians chapter 2 verse 14 says he took all of the laws, Ever, even the self-imposed ones that you would place on yourself. Colossians 2.14 says that he took every ordinance that was contrary to us. He took it and nailed it to the cross. He brought a death to it. So Paul is driving that home to us in the first two verses of Galatians chapter 3. When he says, you crazy Galatians, who's bewitched you? What's wrong with you? You entered into this by grace and now you're going to try to perfect it by law. Who told you to do that? It was not the spirit of truth, Paul says. <clears throat> the Father doesn't make transactions with us. It's not that you pray the prayer, you have faith, you repent, you pay your tithe, you pray every day, and then I'll bless you. That's not the gospel. In fact, here's how the Father sets it up. 1 Corinthians chapter 1 and verse 20, he says, every promise in him is yes and amen. You find a promise in the Bible, or better yet, one that he speaks to you. And the promise that he speaks to you is yes and amen. It's not, if you do, then he will do. It, it's, a, it's a done deal. It's been imputed, direct deposit. When he makes a promise to you, it is direct deposit. It is yours. Romans 8.32 says, How shall he not with Christ freely give us everything? It's all been done freely. He, he so takes the works out of it. How many things has he freely given without your begging, without your claiming, without your praying, without your, you know, your, your faith? All things. So let me just say this in conclusion. I'm winding this down. I'm done with Galatians chapter 3, the first nine verses. I think Paul laid it out so well, the futility. And this is such foundation. I, this might be like grace 101 to some of you, but that's all right because when you come to the next level, you're going to find bonds and chains that you didn't see at the lower level that you need to get rid of. In 2020, God's building sons and daughters. God is not recruiting an army. He's not looking for servants to submit. He's putting the finishing touches on manifested sons and daughters that are awakening. Listen, they're awakening to their inheritance that has been freely given to them. You need to see it. You need to agree with that, with the words of your mouth, and then act as though it is totally a done deal. See, faith comes by hearing. Hearing the promise that he made to you. That's how faith came to Abraham. He heard the promise that God made to him. And he trusted the one that made the promise. He trusted his ability to be able to do it. So faith comes by hearing what he says to you. And it's released by what you speak. Then it's lived out knowing that it is a fully 100% done deal. All right. I think that's it for this morning. Next Sunday morning, we'll pick it up at Galatians chapter 3, and I'm going to run verses 10 to 14 next Sunday morning. So read it, meditate it, look at it, maybe from several versions, 
and we'll continue our study. See you Wednesday night. Have a wonderful Sunday. Uh, enjoy the Super Bowl today. I think this is Super Bowl Sunday. You're going to be looking at seeing this one on February 2nd, which is Super Bowl Sunday. So enjoy yourself. Have a good day, and we'll see you next Sunday morning. I want to take just a minute and thank all of you for being part of the Digital Cathedral and to just request your help in a couple of areas. There's two or three things that you can help us do to put this message around the world. First of all, if you have enjoyed the message, I'd like for you to go down on the YouTube and make a comment. Make a good affirmative comment because many people go down and read the comments before they watch the video to get an idea if it's favored or not favored. Second thing is you can share it on Facebook. Make sure that you hit us real strong on social media. Third thing is you can, you can do to help us is to become a monthly partner in support of what we're doing to keep this gospel of grace going around the world. This year in 2020, there's several things that I would like to get done, but it requires some finances. I'd like to expand the ministry. I'd like for us to become more effective in our marketing and in our production of what we're doing. So you can help us become a monthly partner, share on Facebook, and make good comments on YouTube. Thank you so much for being part of the Digital Cathedral. I bless all of you from around the world and hope that this message today as well as every week is a blessing to you. God bless you. We'll see you next week.